Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. How we doing? We good? We good? All right, all right, all right. You sound great. I'm so thankful that you're here today, and I'm glad that you're here. We never take it for granted that you choose to spend part of your Sunday here with us at Generations Church. I'm glad to be back. I've been out the last couple of weeks. Our family's been on some vacation and uh, just been traveling together. And uh, I think our staff team always uh, hates it when I'm on like planes, trains, and automobiles because I mean, it's time to dream and plan and pray and just seek God for the future of our church. And uh, man, when I come back, I always come back with just a lot of thoughts and things. And, and I've watched even the Sundays that I've missed throughout the, the, the summer and different weeks and things. I've watched. I'm so thankful for the team that God has assembled here at Generations Church, just a fantastic team of just called by God, talented, passionate individuals, and I'm thankful for all of the people that call this place home, and uh, I'm thankful for the communicators. Pastor Carson, Pastor Aaron have, have spoken this summer, done a great job. Pastor, uh, Pastor David Waldrop from Go Church last week, what a great message. If you've missed any week of this series that we've been in, I encourage you to go back to our podcast, to the YouTube channel, and just, uh, just catch up, because it's been a great series as we look to the Gospels which we'll talk about again in just a minute. But I have been traveling. I've been praying and thinking about you and praying for you. And, and I can say uh, I am as excited about the next few months of ministry here uh, as I've been in a really, really long time. And so I'm thankful for what God, I believe God is going to do. You heard a bunch of stuff in the last couple minutes, but next week we want to baptize you. If you've never been baptized in water, or maybe you've done recently what we would call a recommitment of your faith, you want to go public with that, we'd love to celebrate with you in baptism next Sunday. Go online, register for that so that we know, and so you can get some information, be prepared for that. But we'd love for you to be a part of Baptism Sunday next Sunday. And then you heard the 31st. The 31st is packed with some good stuff. It's Bump Up Sunday. The kids will be thrilled about that. And we're going to pray over our teachers and our students and faculty and homeschool families just for an incredible school year to come. But we're also doing something right after church on the 31st. And if you have recently started attending our church, you may have gotten an email about this over the last week or so. It's called Salsa with the Staff. I'm not talking about like salsa. You know what I'm talking about? Like that was pretty good right there. But uh, I'm not a dancer. But um. We're gonna. If you know anything about me, I love I love Mexican food. I'll probably eat it for lunch today and tomorrow. But I love. So what we're gonna do since Easter, we've had like 125 or so new people just connect to our church, and uh, and so we would love to get to know you, allow you to get to know us. So Corey and I are gonna host just a time together with you and our staff team, uh, just to help you to kind of learn about us as a church, for us to get to know your story a little bit. Uh, and so if you're like, well, I mean, I haven't come just since Easter. It was a few weeks or a few months before that. We'll slide you in. We got some queso and guac for you too, but we'd love for you to come uh, so we can get you some information. If you didn't get an email to register for that, then you can go to the information center. They can help you today get connected to that so that you can be a part of Salsa with the staff. And then August is going to be awesome. I mean, we're going to have a brand new series starting on the 7th that you will not leave empty-handed any week in August. We've got Sunday Fun Day. We're launching our groups for the fall semester. So you're going to hear a ton more about that in the weeks to come. But it is going to be a really, really great fall. And I'm excited that you're on this journey with us. You know, I said just a minute ago that all summer long it's been a great series, great time in God's Word. And I'm excited today to continue in this series that we've been in called Summer Stories. We've been looking at these parables of the Gospels. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the first four books of the New Testament, and they are the place that you find most of the stories of the life and ministry of Jesus. Now, he is referenced from Genesis to Revelation, but you see his life here on earth 
really captured more succinctly in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so in those four books, he tells these short stories as he's doing miracles and walking around and teaching and doing all these fun things. He also then goes and like will break out and tell like a quick story that illuminates a larger truth. And these stories are called parables. And so we've been looking all summer long at some of these parables to you know, read the stories that Jesus told to learn the lessons that Jesus was trying to teach us. And so we've heard some great ones, but today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. I'd love for you to go there with me to Matthew chapter 25, either in a printed Bible or your app. As we look to this story that is, you know, a familiar story to some, it means it doesn't mean if you don't know it that there's something wrong with you, but this is definitely a story that kind of has made its way outside of Christendom and faith and, and the Bible, and it's used in some cultural settings as well. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14, this is what we read. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by a story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. The servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip, and he called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver, to, uh, of silver came forward with, and with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags to invest, and I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That seems a little harsh. I mean, if I'm reading that, those last few verses, that seems like, wow, I mean, it seems like he's, he's saying some things and, and doing some things there that seem harsh to me, and I'm not really sure I understand. Well, I think it's important for us before we dive into this to remember that this is not a literal story. This is a story that Jesus told, but it wasn't a, an actual event that transpired where there was a master with three servants and he gave to them you know, these various bags of silver and then they went and did something with it and came back. This is a story that Jesus was telling to try to help us understand a larger truth about what? The kingdom of heaven. That's how he started. The kingdom of heaven is like and so he's revealing something to us by telling us this story. And so what is it that we might learn? What could we pull out of this story to learn about Christ and maybe the father as represented by the master in the story and really the kingdom of heaven here that we read about? I think it's also important before we jump into these lessons learned to recognize that the bags of silver 
could in your life or my life represent our money or our resources, but they don't have to. I think that they reveal larger truth. I think that you could interchange other aspects of your life, the other things that you possess, relationships and talent and work ethic and skills and all of the various passions that you have, and you could put those in the same place as you read Bags of Silver, and it would still be the truth that comes out of this story. We're going to talk about money in a few minutes, but it's not just money or resource that we see in this story. So I want to look today at three lessons that I see right out of this parable, right out of this story that I think all of us need to remember as we do life and do faith in relationship with God. Here's the first lesson. We will all give account for what we did with what we had. We will all give account for what we did with what we had. Verse 19 said, and after a long time, their master returned from his trip and he called them to give an account of how they had used his money. Jesus is telling this group of people that are listening a story, and a part of that story is that they have to give an account for what they did with what they had. Now, none of us really like to think about that, but I remember when I was a kid, my parents saying to me and to my brother something like this, your talent or your giftings or your passion or your relationships, whatever it is that you have, what, that's been given to you by God. That's God's gift to you. What you do with it is your gift back to God. Anybody ever heard anything similar like that? Maybe you were raised in a house like mine. Your talent's God's gift to you, but what you do with it is your gift back to God. Well, well that's what we see here, but, but what is it that we've done? Well, eventually, we have to give an account for those things. There is a judgment idea in this story where they had to stand before the master and say, hey, here's what I did with what you gave me. Here's what I did. You gave me five. Here's five more. You gave me two. Here's two more. You gave me one. I wasn't sure. I was a little nervous, so I hid it. We don't often like to think about judgment. There's a few times in my life I've stood before a judge because I have a, a heavy gas foot pedal, right? And I've chosen to go to court a couple of those times, try to keep the insurance down. I got a couple teenage drivers in the house trying to make sure I can maximize that as best I can. And so, you know, I've stood before him. There's one time I knew I was innocent. I was not nervous a bit. But I don't know the letter of the law. So those times that I was guilty, I was driving 11-ish miles over the speed limit. I got an amen over here. Somebody resonated with that in the spirit. But like I was, I don't know. The judge is standing there looking at me, and I hope he's nice and fair and kind and merciful. I don't know what the law says. He could have thrown me in a maximum security prison for all I know. I'm just trying to keep my insurance low. You understand what I'm saying? But I'm standing there before the judge, and I know I'm guilty. Well, this is what we're reading about. That there will come a day when you and I stand before the judge. We stand to give account for what we've done. And if Jesus is telling this story, he wants us to know that judgment is coming. I mean, he goes to the end of this story and he says to us that like that wicked and lazy servant would be cast out into the darkness to where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is imagery that's used in other places to describe an eternity apart from God. That there's imagery here that's connected to the, the post-judgment reality for those who are not going to stand well on the day of judgment, right? And so what is Jesus trying to help us understand? The very first sentence. Here's a story that helps us understand the kingdom of heaven. There's something we need to know. We're all going to give an account. Now, if we read through the New Testament, the way that I read it, there are at least two distinct judgments that are talked about. I mean, it's easy for us to go, okay, I got I to stand on judgment day, right? 
But as I read through the text of the New Testament, I, I believe there's at least two distinct judgments that are talked about. The first of them is called the great white throne judgment. This would often be what you're talking about when you read in Revelation 17 or Revelation 20. It's like this day that you have to stand and really answer one question. What did you do with my son Jesus? Did you accept the free gift of salvation that was offered to you? Did you receive grace and mercy because it was extended to you? Is your name written in what? The Lamb's Book of Life as it's been referenced here. Revelation 17 and 20 talk about that. This is the great white throne judgment. Is your name in the book of life? Did you accept salvation? If you did, enter in. If you did not, depart from me. I never knew you. Now, some of us, when we, when we hear that, again, it's like, oh, I don't know. I don't think I like that. I, I don't think maybe you would ask a similar question to what I've heard hundreds of times in my ministry when 10 years in student ministry, a student start asking me and talking to me about how they're interpreting who God is in their life or in scripture. Maybe, maybe now as a pastor, people coming, I, I, how could a loving God condemn people to hell? And I would say, hey, let, before we get there, let's, let's answer that question, but let's make sure we are talking about the same God here. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Don't believe the press clippings here. God, the judge, the father, the master in this story is not some angry, vindictive being out there who is trying to figure out when you slip up so he can immediately throw you into hell. No, he's patient and kind and merciful and loving, and he's gracious to us and extends opportunities just like this and hopefully hundreds more to every person so that they would have opportunity to respond to the love of God and be drawn to repentance and respond in kind so that they can stand on that day and say, I absolutely received what your son offered to me for free. As you look at me, you are looking through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. I have taken on the righteousness of Christ, not in my own works, but in his completed work. And he could say, enter in. That's the God that we're talking about. And I think what happens for some of us is, is we think that God is standing there condemning us to hell. No, no, no. God is just honoring our choice. Because you and I have a choice right now to enter into relationship with God. To say, God, I want to spend my life with you. I want to dig into your word and understand your truth. I want to understand who you are and the purpose and direction that you give to my life. Or I don't. And judgment day is not the beginning of eternity. You and I live in eternity right now. It's not a starting point in the future. You and I are in a continual span of time right now. And I believe judgment day, God is not going to force himself upon you for the rest of eternity if you have chosen to live apart from him now. He's going to honor the decision that you and I have already made to say, hey, you want to be in relationship with me? Let's spend the rest of eternity together. You don't want to be in relationship with me? I honor that request. That's the choice that you have chosen to make. That's the day of judgment this 
great white throne judgment. There's a second judgment that I see in Scripture. One of the places that you can read about it is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There's a couple of other places that are referenced in the Gospels and in the New Testament epistles. It's like the judgment seat of Christ is what it's often referenced. This is not for all of humanity. This is just for believers. I believe when you read it in context, this is just for those who have already answered, I am in relationship with you. I've accepted salvation and the free gift that was extended to me. And now this is that judgment of like, how did you live your life? You give account for your words. You give account for your faithfulness. You give account for the things that you've done. And this is the place that as you read and it's like where you get rewards and you're like, I don't know if I like that. Well, I mean, that's how I read it. But there are rewards. There are things that he bestows upon us. Not, not, we're, we're in heaven at that point. We're, we're in eternity with him. But it's like, no, 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 this is that part of it where he says, hey, you've been faithful with what was given to you. You've actually done what I asked you to do. We give account for our words. That, that stings for some of us. Me too. We give account for the faithfulness of our lives, the things that we've done to conduct our every day. And here's what I want you to know. If you read the Bible and you interpret it differently, that's okay. You can disagree with me here. I think we would all agree that there is at least that one judgment of, well done, you're in, or depart from me, I never knew you. But wherever you land, as I read through this, I would rather live my life in pursuit of both of those things, both judgments, to try to live as faithfully as I can after responding to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ than to live contrary to it and find out I was wrong. That's the way that I'm trying to conduct and live my life. This parable reveals to me that the Father cares what I do with what I have been given. Here's the second lesson that we see. God desires a return on his investment. Verses 26 through 29 say this, but the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. This is that part part that's kind of harsh. It's like, well, that doesn't seem fair. But remember, the moral of the story here is to reveal to us the character and nature of of the Father, the kingdom of heaven. Something's being revealed to us. What is Jesus trying to teach us? That, that the master wants a return. Like he got his money back from the third servant. Like the guy hid it in the ground, buried it in the ground, and brought the one thing back to him. So like he didn't lose anything, and yet that wasn't enough. He wants a return on his investment. So let's, let's put all that aside for a second and talk about money. I, I believe in the principle of tithing. I don't think that God gives to me whatever has been entrusted to me and then asks for 100% back. I believe he asks for 10%. It's a trust issue for me. It's a trust issue that early in my life I struggled with. And I really found that God is more faithful with the 90% than I ever could be with the 100%. I believe it's an Old Testament principle. I believe that Jesus talked about it in the New Testament. I believe that Paul talked about it later. Like I believe that it's throughout Scripture. It's not just some Old Testament law thing. Like, I, I believe in that. I believe that, and I think Pastor David alluded to this last week, like, some of us are like, hey, but no, 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 it's my hard work. Yeah, but God gave us the ability to work hard. It's like, no, no, but it was my mind that invented this. But yeah, he placed that mind and wisdom into 
I believe that every good gift comes from the Father above. That's what I believe. You may disagree. And so when God entrusts any increase into my hands, I believe that it's my opportunity to return back to him a portion of what he's given to me. But I don't think it's just about tithing. I don't think it's just about giving within the local church. That's where we start. We tithe, we give the tenth, and then we're also giving over and above. We give through legacy makers and to special needs and projects within our church. That's what we believe. That's what we do. Not because we're pastors. We've done that long before. That's what was modeled to us by our parents and our family. We, we find those truths in Scripture. But I think we're also saying, okay, what is the return back to the kingdom beyond just that truth? You ask my kids. One of them sitting here. I got other kids throughout the building. You ask my kids. This is not some preacher exaggeration. We love to bless people outside. Like we're looking for people in drive-through lines because we spend a lot of time in drive-throughs in between practices and games. Like we love to buy the people's meal behind us. Now, not if they're in a 15-passenger van, right? We're, we're looking. Like we're we're doing mental math. We're like, I mean, that's a Honda. That we can afford that. Like 15 passengers. Like, can I buy the car two back? Can I? That guy's on a motorcycle. Can I get that guy? Right? And you're like, you're terrible. I am. Pray for me. We're really trying to kill the flesh. But I mean, like, but yeah, we we love to bless people. We want to buy people's meals and we want to try to find, we did it the other night. We were at dinner. There was an amazing husband and wife sitting at a table with, I mean, let's just call it a hundred children. Let's just, it was a lot. But it was obvious that they were fostering and or adopting a number of these children And mom and dad were doing the very best that they could. These kids spanned the ages of like two to maybe 12. And it was a lot. They weren't at my table and I was exhausted. You understand what I'm saying? Like I I could hardly eat. Like it was just, no, no, no. But Corey and I watched. We just watched. So gracious, this mom and dad. So loving. So mild and meek to these children. And I said to my waiter, I said, hey, I wanna, I wanna get their check. I said, I don't think they're sitting in our section, so you're gonna have to go find somebody. And don't you tell them, but I just wanna bless them. I don't say that to like, oh, look at me. Like, I'm telling you, like, I believe it's what we're called to do. I believe that's a kingdom investment. I don't know if they're believers. I don't know if they're in the church. I don't know if they go to church. That's a kingdom investment. I want them walking out of that restaurant going, thank you, Lord. I don't know who. I don't know how. I don't know what. But thank you, Lord. I I didn't tell this story at 930, but I got time. Y'all ain't got nowhere to go. So when I was in college, there was a restaurant in our town, Applebee's, right? It's like not just in that town. They've got them in other places. I was sitting in Applebee's. And I was eating by myself. Now, my oldest son told me the other day, he was like, hey, what do I do? I got like two hours away. So I was like, go to a restaurant. He was like, I don't eat by myself. I don't want people judging me that way. So I was like, I used to eat by myself all the time. Like if I was driving somewhere, I was going somewhere, like I'd just gotten off. So I just, I went to Applebee's. I was eating just a quick meal. They had like the, I don't know, some kind of special and I could maximize my dollars, which was very important in college. And so it was like, I was sitting there eating and you ever just feel that nudge? It's what I was just talking about a minute. I was sitting there, and there was a mom by herself with like two or three kids, and the kids were like using the table like a jungle gym. And I felt the Lord as clear as I could. Like I felt the Lord say, buy her meal. And I was like, that ain't the Lord. He knows I ain't got that kind of money. That's the, de- get behind me, Satan. Like I was, I was sure this was a temptation. Or, but I couldn't shake it. I couldn't shake it. Buy their meal. 
So, I mean, it wasn't mental math. I knew how much money I had. And it was probably going to max it out. So I said to the waitress, I said, hey, don't tell them. Will you give me their check? I think she looked at me like I was a poor college. She was like, are you sure? I was like, I mean, me and God are still fighting about it. But yeah, it's fine. Just go ahead and bring it. She brought me the check. I looked at it, and I was like, man, they got an appetizer? Gosh. And dessert. I'm sure they did. Like three desserts. You know when you go out with friends and like you don't want to tell them you're ordering and they, they order first and then you say you're picking up the check? That's like I should have told them at the beginning. Like we should have. Anyway, all right, y'all just pray for me. So I took it. I opened up my wallet. I'm not making this up, man. I don't know why I'm telling stories, like justifying myself. I promise you, I had enough money to buy my meal and theirs and there was $1 left in my wallet. I didn't, money in the bank, what are y'all talking about? I ain't rich. I just, that's, I had it in my wallet. And so I paid for their meal and for mine. Their meal was $35. You're like, well, that's not a lot of money. It was a lot of money to me. So I paid. I walked out. I went to my apartment. I stopped by the mailbox. I opened the mailbox, and there was a card from my grandmother. I read the card but I didn't have to read it much because money fell out when I opened it up. And she said, I was praying for you and I don't know if this will help you at all, but I just wanted to send you a little money and it was $35. You're like, you're making that up. I promise you, I promise you, you can't outgive God. You you, you can't be obedient and it return void back to you. God wants a return on his investment. He he wants us to to look at what we have in our hands and not just think about ourselves, but go, God, how how can I use this for the sake of someone else? You're prompting me to be obedient. I will be obedient, even if I'm just not sure how it's going to happen. God wants a return on his investment. If God were standing before us right now, Like he were literally standing right in front of you in physical form. Not not me. This is like a whole different story. He's standing over there and he's asking you this question. What did you do with what I gave to you? How would you answer that question? Maybe maybe you would say, and I've said things like this at different times in my life. Maybe you would say like, it wasn't really that big a talent. Like, what do you mean? Like other people can do way more things than I can do. So I mean, I just, I just kind of kept it to myself. It's just, it's just like a gift, I, I, but like I, other people are more gifted, so I didn't, I didn't do anything with it. I didn't give it because it, it wasn't that much. I'm going to wait until I can give more, and then I'll give more because it's just this small amount. It wouldn't make a difference in anything. It's like, no, no, I'm, I, I was afraid I'd mess it up. So I didn't, I didn't, I just, I just, I buried it in the ground. However you would respond, how would he respond to you? In the story of the first two servants, what did he say? He said, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's celebrate. Let's throw a party because you did what I asked you to do. There's great return on your investment. That's how I hope he would respond to us based on how we, what we did with what we had. But in the third story, the third servant, what did he say? What did he do? He said, you wicked and lazy. Like, like, he didn't lose anything. He still had it. 
He gave him back what he got. He just didn't multiply. He didn't do anything with it. He just sat still. That's not what we're called to do as followers of Jesus Christ. My youth pastor used to say when I was a kid, he said, we pray this prayer and then we come in and we look around and we model what's modeled for us and we just sit and soak and sour. We're called to be active. We're called to invest what's been invested into us into the kingdom and give a return into the kingdom of heaven for the sake of the Father. This is the story that's being revealed to us. You go to the story of Moses in the Old Testament, he's standing before the bush. I've told this story dozens and dozens and dozens of times in the history of our church, but like he's standing before the bush and the voice calls out to him and says, like, what do you have in your hand? Like he was nervous. He's like, what if I get there and they don't believe you sent me? Like, what? I stutter. I don't really speak well. Like you're asking me to go speak. Like what? Do I? And, and he said, the voice calls out to him and says, what do you have in your hand? He says, well, it's a staff. He said, throw it down. He throws it down. Turns into a snake. He says, pick it up. I'd have said no. Moses grabs it, turns back into a staff. Like, the staff was just natural to Moses. He was a shepherd. He was tending sheep, and like, every shepherd in the desert would have had a staff. It was just natural. It was just normal. It was just ordinary. But when he released it to God, it became supernatural. And then God asked him to pick back up the supernatural and hold it in his hand. That's what you and I have been asked to do to take the natural gifts and abilities and talents and resources that God entrusts into our hands, release those things to him, watch him put his blessing on it, and then take it back up to use it to reveal him to a world that needs to know him. He stood before Pharaoh and he stood before the people and he, like he was able to use the natural in a supernatural way because he trusted God enough to release it. God is looking for a return on his investment. Here's the third lesson that I see. It's actually the first lesson in the story. We were given what we have because God thought we could handle it. We were given what we have because God thought we could handle it. Verse 14 and 15. We, he called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. When I read this story, the first thing that jumps out is he entrusted his money to them. What might Jesus have been trying to teach us? That God entrusts things to us. He entrusts, he doesn't have to, but he entrusts it to you. Entrust. God trusts in The master knew the servants. He divided it in accordance, in proportion to their ability. He knew what they could handle. And so he gave it to them to do something with it. He wasn't trying to trick them, wasn't trying to trap them. He was trying to bless them. He was trying to honor them. He entrusted it to them. He knows you. And so he entrusts some things to you. This is similar to what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when we read about spiritual gifts where it says that the Spirit gives this out of this variety of gifts. He gives gifts as he chooses to give them. You don't get spiritual gifts because you've attended church the longest. 
You don't get spiritual gifts because you check off the box that you read that devotional on your Bible reading plan. The Spirit determines your ability to handle gifts, and He entrusts it to you. Not so you can go, well, look at me. I'm gifted. Look at me. Look what I can accomplish. Look who, how good I... No, no, no. When we remember in humility that He trusts us, we take whatever gifts and blessings that we receive, and we are constantly on the lookout for how we can turn that into a blessing for someone else. He trusts you. If you don't remember anything that I say all day long, when you get back in your car, he trusts you. You say, well, I don't have it yet. I've been praying for it. I've been believing for it. I've been hoping for it. He's not keeping it from you. He's reserving it for you. It's still got your name on it. It's just not the right time yet. I believe that with all my heart. If you've attended here for any length of time, you know I'm not some kind of prosperity gospel guy. I just believe in the truths of God's word. Every day is not going to be a great day, perhaps. You're going to face struggles and seasons and trials and adversity. But God is faithful. And Jesus tells us a story about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, this relationship that we can have, this, this thing that we can live as a part of. And right up front, right at the beginning of the story, he says, I'm trusting you with some things. I believe in you. You say, well, I don't know how that's even possible. Because my boss doesn't trust me. But God does. My family doesn't trust me. But God does. I don't trust me. God does. And we all do what we all do, right? We look around at other people and we say, but what about them? I want what they have. I want to do what they can do. It's a similar type of conversation where Jesus rebuked Peter when he was looking at John in John chapter 21. My paraphrase, Jeremy translation of scripture. He says, get your eyes off somebody else and look at me. Don't worry about what other people have and what other people can do and what their life story and their life journey is about. My relationship with you is my relationship with you in accordance with what you can handle, in accordance with the story that I'm writing in and through your life. I'm trusting you with some things. I'm trusting you with some things I'm not trusting them with. But I'm trusting them with some things that maybe I'm not entrusting to you in this season or maybe ever. But just focus on me. Just look at me, the, the giver of all good things. God trusts you. Over the last few weeks, we've been traveling. I told you, planes, trains, and automobiles. I mean, we've been, we've been doing it up. Supporting our kids and following them as they play in various things and tournaments. And took some vacation time to refresh our souls and get prepared for a ministry. It's fall and dreaming new dreams and praying for you. And this thought hit me right between the eyes because I will stand on judgment day and give account for me. But as I read the New Testament, I also know as a spiritual leader, I will give account for us. I'll stand before God 
And the worst possible outcome would be that I stand there and I go, God, you entrusted so much to us as a church family. Gifted people, amazing families, a lot of hopes and dreams, a lot of thoughts and possibilities and potential. But we didn't, we didn't do anything with it. We were just buried it in the ground. You know, we didn't, we didn't want to take a risk. We didn't want to invest what we had. We didn't want to multiply it. We just, we just played it safe. Can I say to you that I don't want to have to say that? I want to stand before God and say, God, we took everything that you entrusted to us and we multiplied it and we invested it for your kingdom's sake. We took every bit of talent and passion and giftedness that you placed within this body and we elevated it to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Every place that we walked in, every restaurant and coffee shop and we walked down the street and we walked into our schools and we walked into the practices for our ball teams and we were just sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives and wherever we felt, we just stepped into it. We prayed for people and we invited people and we had spiritual conversations and we led people to the Lord and we just, we weren't okay with people who were far from God. We just wanted to plant seed and cultivate the ground where others had done the work and help you to reap a harvest for the kingdom. Like, I, I want that to be our story. And so we'll do that here in this location. And as God opens doors, we've already been praying about where we'll go next. Where's the next neighboring community where we'll just allow God to lead us to place Generations Church there? And then as the Lord opens a door, we'll go to another community and trust him there in that community because we want to stand at the end on the day of judgment before God and say, God, we've been as faithful with everything you've entrusted to us as we possibly could be. Not for us, but for our glory, but for your name and your renown. So what about you? What will you do with what God has entrusted into your hands? How will you handle the resource and the blessing and the relationships that God has given to you for his kingdom's sake? What will you do with what God has entrusted to you? I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and just bow your head just for a moment as we conclude our time. If you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, you're talking about judgment. I'm not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And today I need to change that reality. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I need him to forgive my sins and to be my Lord. I want to be able to yet answer yes if asked. What, what did you do with my son? Did you receive salvation? Do you honor the sacrifice of the cross in Jesus? If that's you today, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? We want to pray for you. And put it right back down. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. If you're watching online today and you're making the decision that others in this room have made, I encourage you, drop that in the chat right now. Let us follow up with you. Email us at prayer at g.church. We want to help you to take some next steps, some first steps in relationship with God. And now if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I just want to be faithful with what God has entrusted to me. 
If that's you, would you lift your hand? My hand's lifted, by the way. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. God, I love you today. I thank you so much for our time. and I just thank you, God, for what you're doing among us. And God, I pray for every person in this place, every person watching online right now, every person listening back at some point in the future. God, I thank you for this moment, this moment of response that you've ordained. God, I pray for all of us that have made the decision to trust you for salvation. There are those that lifted their hand right now. God, the moment that they acknowledged their need for you, you responded in grace. You've been patient to draw us to repentance. And so God, thank you for that. Celebration is not even the right word, but God, we are ecstatic for the decision that they've made. Let us walk with them in the next days as they begin this relationship with you. And God, now for those of us that lifted our hands to say, I wanna be faithful with what's been entrusted to me. God, first, thank you for trusting us. Thank you that you are a loving and kind and gracious God that entrusts things into our hands. And God, let us be faithful stewards with those things. Open our eyes and open our hearts to your kingdom work in this place and in this community. And God, as we are faithful, would you be fruitful? Would you do what only you can do as we honor what you've entrusted into our hands? God, we thank you for it. We can't wait to hear the stories that you are writing on the earth. The little part that we play. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.